Now, presenting live from 401 Maplewood Drive in Jupiter, Florida. Join our family every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m. Today's message brought to you by Pastor Ben Pierce. Well, I'm excited today to bring to you the third part of the series, Love Between the Lines. Uh, the title for today's message is Great Sex. And, uh, and so if uh, you're visiting with us, just hang loose, buckle your seatbelts for a few minutes. Um, uh, I don't teach on sex every single weekend, just about every other, um, just so you know. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Uh, listen, this is a very important topic, and if we're not teaching on it, who is? And, uh, and so the church has failed miserably as it relates to teaching these types of things to the next generation. And so this is a vital topic, and so I want to encourage you today to open your heart and allow the Lord to speak to you, because you might get something today that really helps you in your intimacy. And if you're a single person, you're going to get some things today that will help you to prepare so that you can be the right person when you finally find that one that you want to tie the knot with. And so I'm excited about what God wants to do today in this series. Uh, This series is called Love Between the Lines, and it is an expositional study uh, on the book, The Song of Solomon. And The Song of Solomon, it's also known as The Song of Songs because it is the cream of the crop. It's the best of the best. It's the only surviving song that Solomon wrote that we still have out of a thousand and five songs. And so it is the best of the best. And so it is a story of their relationship from the time they met all the way through their courting, their honeymoon night, which is what we're going to talk about this morning, and all the way through conflict and marriage and all the things that uh, that make up a healthy relationship. And so we call this series Love Between the Lines because the, the book Song of Solomon is an allegory. It's a metaphor. It's full of all types of imagery and symbolism. It's not that easy to read and understand. And so my job is to pull the love from between the lines for you uh, so that you can see what healthy relationships are supposed to be. Uh, This is a roadmap to relationship success. And so if you haven't caught the first couple of services out of this series, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, I feel like they've just been foundational. You can go website and uh, hit the media tab and watch those online. Uh, So we're going to talk about intimacy or great sex today. Next weekend, conflict. The weekend after that, deepening love. And then the final weekend of this series is going to be called faithfulness. A couple of ground rules. Listen for yourself today. No amen, brothers. No elbows to your spouse. Uh, Listen for what God is trying to say to you today uh, because he wants to speak to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to to help you see maybe a different way of doing some relationships. How many of you guys would agree that the world's way of relationships is broken? And we have been taught, because we watch it on TV, we see it in the movies, we listen to it on the radio, all, we've been taught the world's way of doing relationships, and it's just not working. And so I would encourage you, give it some time, allow God's way to begin to work in your life and in your relationships. Sex and intimacy is something that the church, I believe, has failed miserably at teaching. And because of that, the world has been able to distort really what it is. The world has been able to give us a distortion view of what that looks like. And so we have this, this mindset inside of us that needs to be uh, reset. It needs to be recentered and refocused on what is true and what is healthy in our relationships. And so um, because the world has done that, we need to open our hearts and allow the Lord to do some things. Here's what the world says about intimacy. The world says that sex is just an animalistic event. That it's just part of your animal drive. It's animal magnetism. It's just something that you just do. And and if there's somebody around to do it with, then okay, let's go. 
That's what the world teaches. But really, uh, it is not just an animalistic event. It's a spiritual event. It's not just something that animals do. It's something that is spiritual in nature. It is, as scripture calls it, two flesh, two different people becoming one person. It's a spiritual event. The world says that it's just a casual experience. I can just go out to the club on Saturday night and whoever's looking pretty, I can casually have an intimate relationship with them. And then next week, maybe I'll find somebody else or maybe next month or six months from now. And so the world teaches that it's just this casual thing. But do you know what? Intimacy takes work. It's not just a casual experience. The world tells us that it's a one-time event. That you can just go out and have a one-time interaction and there's no damage done. But what the world doesn't tell us and what the world doesn't show us and what the theologians down at MTV forget to to share with our teenagers and our kids growing up is the STDs. They they forget to share the hurt and the the turmoil and the torment. They, They forget to share the unwanted pregnancies. They forget to share the pieces and parts of our hearts that we give to people so that when we finally find somebody worth settling down with, we have nothing left to give. They don't share any of that stuff. All they share is a heated steamy passionate scene with half nude bodies writhing around on a screen and we get drawn right into it we think that's what intimacy is it's not what intimacy is I'm going to share with you what it is so this book the song of songs the song of Solomon works all the way through their relationship from the time they meet the time they court and date all the way to the wedding day we talked about last week how Solomon's mother the queen she she crowned him with a crown on the day of his wedding she approved of who he was marrying she approved of the whole process that had happened and so chapter four if you'd like to turn there in your Bible song of Solomon chapter four it's also in your fill-in notes Chapter 4, the entire chapter is dedicated to their honeymoon night. Lionel Richie did not write all night long. It really came from the Bible. And, uh, and so all night long, chapter 4 describes the actions of their honeymoon night. And it is spicy. Are you guys ready? It's, it's good. It, and I just encourage you to allow the imagery of these words to really just kind of blossom for you so you can apply it to your life and to your relationship. One of the things I think is so interesting about this is 75% of the time in the book of Song of Solomon's, she, the wife-to-be, is the one speaking. Isn't that about the way it goes, guys? Does your wife speak 75% of the time? It's about that, you know, that's the way life is. Women are created and wired to be verbal, more verbal than we are as men. So 75% of the time through the book, she is the one speaking. But on the honeymoon night, something happens. There is a reversal on the honeymoon night. 75% of the words that are spoken come from him. He begins to lavish her with his words. He begins to lavish her with his love. As a matter of fact, the first 11 verses of chapter four is just him talking to her. I don't know about you guys, what your honeymoon was night, but I'm sure your honeymoon night was like, but I'm sure you freaked your, your wife out like I did. You know, I'm, I'm coming out of the, the, uh, the hotel into the room and she's in the bathroom and, and I don't know, but I ripped the tuxedo right off of me and I'm sure she came right out of the, the room and thought, what have I gotten myself into? There wasn't a whole lot of talking. That's all I got to say. I didn't know how, how to do this. I didn't know what relationships in life were supposed to be like. Anybody can identify with that? Okay. 
Imagine, guys, what your honeymoon night had, would have been like if you had spent time to affirm her, if you had spent time to say, you know, I'm so glad that you married me. I'm so glad that, that you chose me. And imagine what it would do to the relationship between you and her if you spent that time just telling her who she is instead of talking about what she does or does not do affirming who she is and so this is what Solomon begins to do the first 11 verses he begins to talk to her he begins to affirm her he says in verse 1 of chapter 4 he says how beautiful you are my darling oh how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are like doves what is he saying there he's saying that when I look through the window of your soul I see the Holy Spirit Doves are a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. Your eye, Scripture tells us, is the window to your soul. Men, if we would spend a little more time talking about the window of the soul of our wives, we would find that our intimacy would grow to a new level. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. This is where he starts to fishtail offline. No, I'm just joking. He begins to talk about her hair, and, and you know, it's, it's 3,000 years old, so let's bring it down to modern. What is he saying? He's saying you are, are, are built right, you're corrected, you're, you're covered. Your hair is, is biblically a spiritual covering. You're covered under the spiritual covering of your Father in heaven. He's beginning to talk about her relationship with God, and he's beginning to affirm her in that. So your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead, a spiritual covering. Verse 2, he says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep, just shorn coming up from the washing. What's he saying? Thanks for brushing, babe. <laughs> And then he goes on, he says, and each one has a twin and not one of them is alone. What's he saying there? Well, you're not from East Tennessee. Because you had all of her teeth. I can say that because I grew up in East Tennessee. I actually dated, no, I didn't. Uh, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each one has its twin, not one of them is alone. What's the spiritual significance of this? It was more than just thanks for brushing and thanks for keeping all of them. What was he really saying? He, he's beginning to affirm who she is because her teeth are a sign of being able to chew the word of God. The, the scripture tells us that the word of God is like meat, that we chew it, we digest it, and it produces nutrients for our body. He is affirming her in that. Basically what he's saying is, honey, you really know the word of God. Honey, you, you really are a woman of integrity. Honey, you really are a woman worth marrying. He's affirming who she is. Verse 3 says, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Her lips symbolize her ability to speak words of life. He says, your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. I don't know if you've seen a pomegranate, but today I'm not quite sure how that is attractive. But back then it obviously was. What I believe the symbolism was there is that her temples were, were rich. They were full. He's talking about her mind. She's a woman with her emotions under control, with her mind in subjection to the will and word of God. She's a woman who has, has spent time working on her thought life. He says, your neck, verse 4, is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, and, and each of those shields like warriors. He's saying that, that you are worthy of honor. 
He's talking about the regality of who she is. You're regal. You are a strong tower. You're a strong woman. You are secure in who you are. And he spends the first 11 verses telling her about who she is. If you're following along in your fill-ins, the first way that you get great sex in your relationships, the way that you get high levels of intimacy is great sex begins with affirmation. Great intimacy begins with affirmation. Men, that we would spend time and affirm who she is. Instead of saying, babe, you left the closet light on again. That doesn't do anything. Babe, you look like you're gaining a few pounds. Babe, you parked sideways in the driveway. Babe, you took the mirror off the car on the garage door as you were backing out yesterday. You see how the, there's a difference in, in how we communicate. Those things make a difference when we're just railing against our wives day in and day out with our words, men, and we're not affirming them. We're talking about what they do instead of who they are. We're destroying them. And we're really destroying our ability to have intimacy. So he affirmed her. Affirmation is not what you do. It's who you are. It's who you are. Man, if we spend some time talking about who she is, she will begin to open up to you. Ladies, let me say this to you. You have to give them something to affirm. You have to work on your character. I love my wife because she is a woman who drives after the things of God. She's a woman who leaves. I can't get mad at her for leaving notebooks all around the house because every time I pick one up to put it on the bookshelf, it's full of scriptures. How can you get mad at that? She's a woman who drives after the things of God. She's a woman who builds integrity. She's a woman who speaks life. She's a woman who, who ministers to other people. She's a woman after God. Women, you got to give your men something to affirm. you got to build some character in there. And then men, you have to look for the opportunities to affirm those things. He affirmed seven different physical attributes. He affirmed her eyes, her hair, her teeth, her lips, her cheeks, her neck, and her breasts. He affirmed all of those things. And if you remember in chapter 1, verse 5, she had a physical insecurity. She said, you know, do you like me? Because I'm dark. I've been in the fields. My skin is wrinkled. I was made to work in the vineyard. She, she had this physical insecurity. How many of us can identify with that? And he took time on their wedding night to affirm out of her any insecurity. Men, that is your job and that is your role. Instead of pointing out the failures of your spouse, of your wife, and say, babe, you need to get this straight. What's wrong with you? You affirm her through that, babe. You can do this. You are this. You are this. You are strong. You are under control. You are a life-giving woman. You are this and that. He begins to talk about all those things. And I love the imagery because he, he starts up top and he just works his way down. Your eyes, your hair, your teeth, your, your cheeks, your temples, your neck. And then he says in verse 5, he says, Your breasts are like two fawns, like the twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. The imagery here is, is amazing, and as I was studying this and reading this, I watch a lot of the Discovery Channel, and um, I, I like to watch these uh, series, you know, where they've got the gazelles out in the Serengeti, and they're kind of walking through the grass, and you can see the sun setting in the distance, and they're just kind of meandering through, the gazelles are, and the breeze is blowing through the grass, and then all of a sudden the camera turns, and there's a cheetah, right? And you guys watch these on TV? I love it. And he's crouched down. He's taking one step after the next. 
and he's stalking the gazelle. He's trying to get as close as he can, and when he feels like he's close enough, he pounces. That is what you think it is. Man, that's what we do to our wives. We pounce for the fawns instead of talking to them, instead of spending time with them, instead of affirming them. Those things on their body are not bullseyes. Those things on their body are not just a piece of meat. It's a part of who they are. I told you it was PG-13. God help me get through this. Do you see the difference in how we approach and think about our relationships, though? Solomon didn't go straight for the gazelles. He went for who she was. Solomon was talking about her and affirming her. Men, if you would stop going for her physical body first and go for her, in, her intellect, go for her mind, go for her heart, have a, an emotional connection, have a verbal connection, the gazelles will follow, I guarantee. I guarantee. We have to begin to affirm Women are affirmed through the ear gate. What they hear is important to them. Women, your men are affirmed through the eye gate. What they see is important to them. So when you come out in a four inch thick 90 that nobody could see through, if you put a spotlight inside of it, it would be the darkness of night. There's no affirmation there. You, some of you ladies could wrap a nuclear bomb in your nightgown and explode it and nobody would ever know the difference. Maybe you ought to get something that's a little thinner because your husbands are affirmed through what they see. So there's a little bit of work on both sides of this. Verse 6, he says, Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. Number two on your feelings, great sex develops with intentional focus. He's talking about until the day breaks. It's all night long. It's not two minutes and then roll over and snore or pick up the remote control. It is an all night affair. He spends time probably hours speaking to her, making a connection with her before he ever touches her. Time and intentionality and focus all night long until the day breaks, he says. And then he says, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. Those were places of seclusion, meaning that it's just me and you, babe. I'm just going to spend time with you. Some of us, if we would just spend an hour talking to our wives, it would revolutionize our intimacy. Just an hour. Just saying, babe, you know, I really enjoy being married to you. I really just love life. I just love, I love you. And begin to talk about their attributes. Be intentionally focused. Verse 7, it says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw and there is no spot in you. Now, let's be honest. Is she flawless? Are there spots in her? Sure there are. But he's not focusing on the spots or the flaws. He's focusing on the flawless parts of her. So he says, there is no flaw, no spot in you. He says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Lebanon is where she uh, grew up. He says, come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana to the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of the leopards. What's he saying? He's saying, leave all of that stuff behind and come with me. Leave your family, your father, your mother. Leave those people and come with me. Why? Because I'm devoted to you. 
I'm focused on you. The third fill-in is great sex is a product of devotion. He made it known to her that he was devoted to her. He made it known to her that it was safe for her to leave her family and come and be part of his family. She had a sense from him that he was going to protect her. She had a sense from him that he was always going to be her advocate and her guard. She had a sense from him that the place where she grew up, even though it was her familiar place, that that place was regarded as a leopard haunt or it was a place of lion's dens. It was a place of unsafe uh, area. It was an unsecure place in relation to what he was going to provide for her. Do you see that? He let her know that he was devoted to her. I believe this. I believe that high up on every female's list is that need to know that you are devoted to them. To know that, that this is not just a, a, um, a person that you're just with for the time or, or if it doesn't go so well, you're going to check out and get out of here. That you know that, that you're going to be there for the long haul. That if she gains 400 pounds, you're going to be there. That if she uh, loses all of her teeth, you're going to be there. That if she goes crazy, you're going to be there. She needs to know that. Because the reality is, is when you tie the knot, you need to have that, that frame of mind. You need to have that heart. And when you begin to let her know that you are devoted to her regardless, she will begin to open up to you in ways that you probably have yet to experience so notice that he praises her flawless character. He professes his lifelong devotion. Listen to me. Devotion is not an emotion, men. Devotion is a concerted effort. It is a commitment that is made inside of your heart. I'm devoted to you. I don't care what changes. I'm devoted to you. You know what happens in that scenario is when a woman feels the devotion of a husband she ends up working extra to make sure that she is somebody worthy of that devotion. Listen to me. If you, will, if you will take a chance, if you will have a little faith, men, that if you can encourage and affirm and devote yourself to that woman, she will become who you want her to be. She really will. If you're trying to make her into something, and you're trying to conform her into who you want her to be. She's your little princess. And you're trying to make her look and feel and do and all these things you want her to do. She's going to fight it because it's not natural. And I know how it is, guys. There's, there's a little bit of a fear inside of us that, that says if, if, I don't, if I don't stay on this, because most men are just kind of control freaks. Like if I don't stay on this, then she's going to let herself go. But if you will affirm her, she won't let herself go. She will work overtime to be exactly what you need and want her to be. If she senses that devotion that you have committed your life. You know, before he ever asked her to share her virginity with him, he pledged the sharing of his life. He pledged it. I'm here for better, for worse, through thick and through thin. That's why we say those things in our marriage vows. It's not just a, a historical thing that we do. It is what is supposed to happen. Are you guys tracking with me? Verse 9, it says, you have stolen my heart, my sister and my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. What's he doing? He's engaging in passion. Fill in number four is great sex, great intimacy is founded in passion. 
Now, the world teaches us that passion is two nude bodies on a screen writhing around, but that's not what passion is. Passion is not an, a physical action. Passion is not something that you do when you are alone at night. Passion is something that you say. Passion is an expression. Passion begins in communication. So he says, you have stolen or ravished, is what the King James says, ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine, the fragrance of your perfume more than any other spice. Your lips, they drop with sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. And the fragrance of your garment is like the fragrance of Lebanon. How many guys know Lebanon is not a good fragrance nowadays? But back then, it was. It says milk and honey are under your tongue. This proves that the French did not invent French kissing. This happened way before France was ever even a country. He is, he's, he's talking about his passion for her. It's not what you do. Passion is not what you do. It's what you say. Passion doesn't begin with lovemaking. Passion begins with expression. If you can express your passion in words, I guarantee you that it will follow in the physical. If you can express your passion in words... It will follow in the physical. He calls her his sister and his spouse. You guys imagine what it would be like if you showed up on your honeymoon night and you're like, my sister. <laughs> in modern day society, to think of somebody that you're about to get horizontal with and call them a sister doesn't fly. Because the world has distorted what relationships are to be. The reality is, is that a relationship of intimacy between a husband and a wife is supposed to be so multifaceted that you can't just describe it in one word. He can't just say my spouse because that doesn't encompass the fullness of what the relationship is. But what we've done in America is we have reduced it down to just one word, my spouse. But she was his sister. She was a friend before she was a lover. Listen, these are keys. If you can establish the friendship before you can establish the, the lovership, you will find that the levels of intimacy go much deeper. Because of his passionate friendship and commitment, she was a reciprocator of great passion. How many of you guys would like to have your wife chase you around like a cheetah on an antelope once in a while? Right? I mean, why does it always have to be the male aggressor? I'm telling you guys, if you will begin to put into play, put into practice some of these foundations, you'll find that you'll come home and she'll be waiting on you. That you'll come home and she will be making a place for you, for intimacy. That she will chase you around a little bit. He says this, he says, how much more pleasing is your love than wine? It means that she was a reciprocator. It wasn't just his love. It wasn't just him. It was her he was saying that your reciprocation is better than wine. That, honey, you, you are, are coming for me, and it tastes better than fine wine. Verse 12. He says, you are a garden that is locked up, my sister and my bride. You are a spring enclosed in a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits. 
with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, myrrh and aloes and all of the finest. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Number five, great sex is enclosed in purity. He says, you are an enclosed garden. It means that she has preserved her garden, which is her sexuality, She's preserved it for him. It has been an enclosed garden. It has been a a, a fountain that has been protected. It's a spring that has been shut up, waiting for the right day, the right person, the proper time. See, the world has told us that you don't have to protect your garden, that you've got to try it before you buy it. But when you really look at how God describes intimacy how God describes sexuality he says that your sexuality is like a garden and what the world has done is it's ripped every single plant out of the garden and we've got young men and young women we have married fathers and married mothers walking around this planet with the plants of their garden ripped out and there's nothing but a muddy mess left but here's the thing about Jesus Jesus restores all things Let me say it again. Jesus restores all things. Husbands, you may have made the worst mistakes. I've made plenty. Wives, you may have made the worst mistakes. Melissa's made one. (laughs) But God restores those kind of things. Young people, maybe you have allowed somebody to enter your garden. And they've ripped the foliage right out of it. And there's nothing but mud left. You know, the great thing about this imagery that God gives us for our sexuality is that when you give that garden back to an enclosed environment, it grows back. That God restores those things. Maybe you've had failed relationships or failed marriages. God restores those things. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or who you did it with. God can restore it. He wants to do it today. He wants to restore some relationships between some husbands and wives today. He he wants to restore some virginity to some single people today. He wants to restore those parts and pieces that make intimacy work. If you'll just open your heart and let him today, he will do that. He will cause that garden to grow. There are three images of her virginity. She's an enclosed garden, a protected spring, a sealed fountain. Purity is, it's private. Purity is separate. Purity is sacred. And purity is secured. For the right person, for the right time. The big idea is that our sexuality needs to be preserved. We need to wait on the right people. I love this. Verse 16. She says to Solomon, now he did all of the speaking up to this point. She says to Solomon, verse 16, after he has affirmed her, after he has let her know that he is focused intentionally on her, after he has described his devotion, after he has expressed his passion, and after he has asked for her purity, this is what he says. She says, awake, O north wind. Come, south wind, blow on my garden." that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. See, after Solomon took the proper role of a lover, she yielded herself to him. The imagery is so beautiful because it's exactly what God does for us. 
think about God placed man, Adam and Eve, in the garden of Eden. And it was a place of purity. It was a place where the image of God was expressed fully and passionately in the creation of a man and a woman. And the devil came into that scenario and he began to hammer away at that image of God. And through our sexuality, he's continued to hammer away at it. He's continued to try to resurface and reface what God initially intended in the garden. So when God placed man in the garden, this is what he did. He affirmed them. He intentionally focused on them. He let them know that he was devoted to them because when we were sinners before we ever knew Jesus, he still went to the cross and died for us. He was devoted to us before we were ever born. He expresses his passion to us. He heals us. He loves us. He comforts us. He's so passionate about us. The world system tries to remove all of those attributes, but God is trying to get them established, reestablished in us. He wants to restore our purity. He wants to restore the purity of that relationship, both in your physical world and in your spiritual world, both with your husband and your wife, but also between you and between God. It's easy to feel like your relationships don't match up. I understand. You look at God's standard that's way up here, and sometimes our standard is is way out here, but God wants to restore it. He affirms you today. Why don't you close your eyes? I just heard from the Lord in my spirit. I just heard him say gently to me that there are some people here today you feel like you have done too much for God to care. That you've been too far. Things have gotten too out of hand. You've walked too far away. And I just heard the voice of the Lord say to me, I affirm you. I love you regardless of where you've been. I love you regardless of what you've done. I love you regardless of what you feel mixed up in right now. Because God doesn't look, listen to me, God doesn't look. He says this to you today. I'm not looking at your actions. Not looking at what you do. I'm looking at who you are. You are my child. You are my image bearer. You're my kid. And I love you. If you're here today and you feel like your relationship with God is just not where it needs to be. Maybe you've never even opened your heart to the Lord. Maybe somebody invited you here today and you're not even sure why you came. Maybe God to you has just been a a set of rules and regulations or a religion, but I'm here today to tell you that God is not about rules and regulations. He's about a relationship with your heavenly father, the creator of heaven and earth. You're an image bearer of the almighty God 
And the world has tried to rip that image off of you, but God today wants to restore it. So if you're here this morning and your relationship with God is not where it needs to be or you've never had one, I want to give you the opportunity to have God just restore that for you. If that's you, would you slip your hand up while nobody's looking around? If God's tugging on your heart this morning just to, to make sure that your relationship with him is where it needs to be. I know it takes a lot of guts to do this, but nobody's looking at you. I'm not going to call you to the front. As a matter of fact, I'm not even here to try to fix any problems. I'm not here to answer really any of your questions. I wouldn't even pretend to begin to know what kind of answers you're looking for. My job is to facilitate your response to the Holy Spirit. So if you're sitting in your seat today and your heart is just kind of being tugged on, you're kind of having this internal struggle. You're saying, oh, I want to know if this is right. I want to know if this is real. But your mind is still saying, ah, maybe not. I don't know. What are you doing? This is crazy. If you're having that internal struggle, that's the Lord working on your heart. And I just want to pray with you. Who is that this morning? Secondly, you're here, and as I'm preaching this word, you realize that there's work to do in your marriage. There's work to do in your intimacy. And I know sometimes it can feel like, wow, I don't even know where to start. I would just encourage you to start talking, start communicating. You're here this morning. You want to put a stake in the ground and draw a line in the sand and say, I am going to do this God's way. You want God to work in your marriage. Who is that? Slip up your hand. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of hands. And then you're here this morning and you're not married, but you're looking for somebody to marry. And you just want God to help you be everything that you're supposed to be, to, to help you develop the character that you need to have. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Yeah, a lot of people. Okay. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for these wonderful people this morning. Right now, that somebody is mentoring.
honoring them. I pray for their spouse right now that somebody is pouring into them. I pray for their spouse right now that their pastor or their their person of leadership in their life is helping them to develop these critical areas of character. I thank you, Father, that in your timing, in your season, that you bring them together and that it would be beautiful.